study mode as we think together about these things this morning, and I want you to invite I want to invite you to join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the privilege of opening your word. We pray that when we do this today, that you would find us a teachable and that you would speak truth to us through your word, that we might better conform to the image of Jesus. We pray in his name, that name above all names. Amen. You don't know a guy named Paul Tykert. I did. I knew him. Uh, he started seminary at Denver Seminary at the same time I did. And the first year he was there, we were there, he was diagnosed with cancer of the tongue and um, began this downward spiral over time. And two years later, uh, that cancer took his life. And, you know, those are moments like that when when uh, when you go, what in the world is going on? And this guy was adventurous. He was wanting to share the gospel, wanting to pastor a church, but he'd never had that opportunity to do that. And then there are those overwhelming tragedies that strike us. I can remember vividly the day I was in my office as a hospice administrator in the Northeast, and we got the call that the, that the uh, Newtown <clears throat> school shootings had taken place at Sandy Hook Elementary School. And uh, we had people that were working with us there in where we were who were in that community. So they packed up and they immediately drove away. And you got to think about 26 people shot dead. Uh, in an elementary school. Who, how does that stuff happen? And then we have our own hurts, right? You and I, we carry around our own stuff from time to time. Our friends abandon us, abandon us. Uh, plans disintegrate. Families evaporate. Children suffer. Disease attacks. Church disappoints. And the question we have to ask ourselves, or at least I think we need to ask ourselves this morning, is where is God when we hurt? Um, pain sometimes works to devastate the life of a believer and sometimes it makes us makes unbelievers hesitate to think about the truth that we share that this god that we serve is good we love him and he's good uh c.s lewis in his book the problem of pain says this pain insists upon being attended to god whispers in our pleasures speaks in our conscience and shouts to us in our pain it is his megaphone to a deaf world some people say that we suffer because God's punishing us or that we don't have enough faith. Uh, no doubt God does use our trials to get our attention and to keep us looking toward him. And there's always a need that we have, at least I know in my life, to stop and do a sin inventory um, to make sure that there's not something that's going on in my life that's getting in the way of what's happening or what needs to happen. Uh, but Chuck Swindoll, that very famous uh, pastor and writer and radio Christian radio person, uh, he, he did some research into this idea, and he came up with a, a Hebrew term after lots of research to describe this idea that God is working to punish us. The Hebrew word he came up with was hogwash, and I think he's absolutely right on track. You know, from the time we're five years old, we know the difference between being down and out and being punished, right? We know that. When I was a kid, I uh, was going to elementary school, and this kid this was riding the bus with me. He had a book about Native Americans in Mississippi, and I, and I kind of wanted to read the book. And, uh, and so I made up this story. I was in elementary school. It wasn't a very creative story. But I made up a story about my dad needing to read this book because he was doing some research on this very important subject. And so could I please borrow your book? Unfortunately, um, it turned out that this kid's dad and my dad worked together. And uh, so when I came home uh, the next day, my dad greeted me at the door with, what 
in the world were you thinking? And what I was thinking in that moment was, I'm going to kill that kid on the bus. So, you know, sometimes we endure consequences because of stuff we do. We know that. We know it when we face those consequences. But sometimes stuff just comes our way. When I was in middle school, they called it junior high school back in the last century, I had to I was diagnosed with Osgood-Schlatter's disease. It sounds very exotic, but really what it is is the, the bone in my kneecaps wasn't keeping up with my growth, and so little bone spurs were breaking off and bouncing around in there. And it hurt a lot. And it hurt not because of anything I did, but just because it was the way it, it was. So what we're going to do today is we're going to listen in on a man who asks this question, where is God when we hurt? Where is God when the world is more complicated than we thought it was going to be? Where is God when we're confined to quarters during a pandemic, a worldwide pandemic? I want to let you know also, though, that starting tomorrow, an email is going to go out with study questions based on this passage. If you want to use those study questions to kind of reinforce what we're talking about today, we'll do that each week as we go ahead. If you're not on our email list, please connect with us and we'll make sure that you get those questions. Because here's the thing this morning. When we hurt and struggle, we need to grip tightly on our need to trust God. And we're going to do this this morning with an Old Testament prophet. Now, you've probably pronounced his name Habakkuk along the way. I said this morning uh, when I was sharing with the Sunday school group that got together that I first learned to pronounce this name when I was in Texas. And it was kind of Habakkuk, you know, Texas. And then when I lived in New England, it was Hamakak, which kind of was a whole weird nasally kind of thing. But really, the Hebrew pronunciation of this word, its name is Habakkuk. Now, I myself might fall into pronouncing it the wrong way, but that's the way you would pronounce it if you were learning Hebrew, which is when I found out about that in my first Hebrew class, and one of my professors decided to correct me because I had mispronounced the name. So, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Habakkuk chapter 1. Uh, please follow along in your Bibles. If you're watching through the website streaming, there's a to the right of the picture, there is a Bible translation available to you. You can click on that. You can find the chapter and verse, and you can follow along with us this morning. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1. Here we go. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received, Habakkuk's complaint, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that the justice is perverted. The Lord's answer, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings, not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops along, their horsemen from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They by building earth and ramps that they, they then capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. 
Habakkuk's second, Habakkuk's second complaint, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? Chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. The first thing we need to do this morning is to see who this guy was who's crying out to God. And really, at least as far as I'm concerned, in this chapter, he is the perfect portrait of human hurt. He's a prophet. He's one who speaks to the people for God. But here he is, this prophet who's supposed to speak to the people for God. He's questioning God. He was a musician. Later on in chapter 3 in this little book, there are some musical terms that remind us that he was indeed a musician, uh, sung prayers or praises that he talks about. In verse uh, 19 of chapter 3, he talks about stringed instruments. But this singer, he ain't singing. He was a fellow struggler. Even though he lived long ago in a land far away, he was a fellow struggler with you you and me. In chapter 1, verse 2, he's calling on God for help. Chapter 1, verse 3, he is dismayed by the destruction he sees going on around him. He, he, his brain is frying from what he's observing. He is watching his world fall apart. And in the course of Habakkuk's lifetime, Judah, the nation of Judah, goes from prosperity to destruction. The city of Jerusalem falls in 586 B.C. What we can also see from him is that he is honest enough to let us see why people hurt. And that people hurt. He he doesn't live in a health and wealth, name it and claim it kind of world. He doesn't patch over a veneer of everything's okay. You know this, right? You ask people how they are, and they invariably respond fine, even if their world's going to the dogs. They say they're fine. Habakkuk doesn't do that. And Beyond those immediate circumstances, Habakkuk gives us reasons for human hurt. Verse 2, sometimes it feels like that God is indifferent to us. Habakkuk says, how long? Listen, God, how long do I have to cry out for help? And what the prophet can't stand here is what you and I can't stand sometimes, which is it looks like, feels like God is just silent. He's gone quiet on us. And it makes us wonder, makes me wonder sometimes if he cares. Have you ever felt like that? In the middle of a heart-wrenching agony, it feels like your prayers kind of dribble out of your mouth and they roll into a dusty corner and they kind of die there. One writer called this the tension of unanswered prayer. And sometimes, in addition to what looks like the indifference of God, sometimes it looks like God's not really the God of justice that he's advertised himself to be. Verse 4, Habakkuk says, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. He's looking around his world and he's saying, man, things aren't right here. What is going on? 
You and I, at least I do, I like to think that good triumphs over evil, but sometimes we've got to admit it doesn't seem to work out that way. And I ask God, what the heck is going on? May, in the year in the year 2012, the month of May, a guy named Mike Philpot in the United Kingdom in England, <clears throat> he was a father of 17. He had uh, been kept on fathering kids to remain eligible for this uh, uh, reimbursement he got from the government in the United Kingdom. He was a, it was about $90,000 a year in, you know, in dollars. Well, this father of 17, he killed six of his own kids in a house fire, tried to make it look like he was trying to rescue them from an unstable mistress that he was keeping. And, you know, you hear stories like that, and you go, my gosh, what the heck is going on? And Habakkuk has the same problem. He cannot understand the tragedy of God, and he's wondering, is God fair? In our moments of uh, trouble and despair, whether we're quiet about it or we're loud about it, uh, sometimes uh, it feels like, I'm wondering, we're wondering the same thing. Is it, is it fair? Right? We're in the middle of a worldwide pandemic, an unbelievably forceful disease that is spreading from people who don't even know they have it. What's going on? I think it's also important to see from this passage that Habakkuk is also honest enough to show us the typical responses to God. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I just want to let God have it. Do you remember the book of Job? Job was a successful guy, nice family, lots of kids, lots of friends, popular dude. And uh, God allows the evil one to test him. And in chapter 2, verse 9, Job's wife comes along after a catastrophe has fallen on his household. And his wife says, why don't you curse God and die? And uh, we, we read it and we go, oh my gosh, that's scandalous. And yet sometimes... Those ideas run through our minds. And sometimes we want to quiz God. We want to interrogate him. We want to strap him down. We want to waterboard him. And we want to find out what is going on. And we ask our two favorite questions. Why? And usually there's a personal pronoun attached. Why me? And we want to ask, how long? I've been uh, intrigued this week by the reports of the protesters who have gone out in force to kind of a rebel against these stay-at-home orders that these various state governors have put into place. How long? That's their question, how long? And sometimes, and particularly those of us in ministry, sometimes we feel like we need to defend God. I used to be a fan of law and order. Uh, not true that I have every episode memorized and can recite the dialogue along with the actors when a show comes up. Not true. But you know, Law & Order, all those other legal shows, when uh, somebody's arrested, right, they get read their rights. You have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford one, one will be appointed for you. And sometimes I think we feel like we have to be God's defense attorney. So we see someone hurting. We see somebody maybe questioning how and if God is at work. And we kind of rush to God's defense. You know, sometimes we spout scripture at them or some other uh, trite uh, moralism we, we spout at people and then we run away before their pain can become our pain. My experience, people who are struggling, people in pain, they need our presence more than our proclamation. God's presence more than his defense. So, what do we do? 
you know, like we've been conditioned by TV shows. We want things neatly wrapped up in a 30 or 60 minute show or, you know, a 20 minute sermon. And life and problems are just not like that. So what do we do? What do we do when we struggle? What do we do when we hurt? What do we do when it seems like there's no apparent answer to the issues that face us? What do we do? What do we do? We get a grip. We hold on tight. I may have shared this story before, but I was uh, at Vandenberg Air Force Base in Lompoc, California, and I had to go back down to Los Angeles uh, to LAX to catch a flight back to um, my base, my home base. And uh, and so the flight from Lompoc uh, to LAX was on board a 15-seat commuter prop-driven airplane, two propellers, one on each wing. And we were not cruising very high. In fact, we were probably only three or 4,000 feet above the mountains that were below us as we were going down the west coast of California. So you can imagine this 15-seater little airplane. The seats are really tight. You're kind of cramped next door. And me, with my personal bubble of space, was just trying to keep away from the lady who was sitting next to me who was you know, continually encroaching my space. Well, this plane, as we're cruising down to LAX, loses power in the left engine. And I'm talking, the engine just froze up and immediately stopped turning the propeller. Because of that, because the left engine immediately stopped turning, the plane takes this nosedive in the right direction because the right engine is pulling the plane down. Well, this lady sitting next to me, she grabbed a hold of my arm so tightly that I had bruised fingertips on my arm when it was done. And she was grip, gripping and holding on for dear life. And you know what? There's something there. When you and I were struggling, we need to grip and hold on to stuff in real life. What do we hold on to? I think there's at least three things from this passage that Habakkuk gives us that we can hold on to. The first one, verse 5, God is at work. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Listen, we don't know how he's at work. We don't know when his work is going to unfold in front of us, but we do know with the confidence that comes from his word that God is at work. Remember John chapter 5, verse 17? Jesus says, my father is at work to this very day, and I too am working. God is not indifferent. He's not uncaring. He's at work. And the word that God gives to Habakkuk is amazed. We're going to be stunned by how he works and, and, the, and the ways that he works. And the truth is, God can work in completely unexpected ways. You and I, we give God the prescription, not only what we want him to do, but exactly how we want him to do it. God is not bound by our prescriptions nor our timetables. So what else can we do? We, we, we rest in this truth in verse 12 that God is holy. Habakkuk says, my God, my holy one. Because he's holy, sometimes he does discipline his people. But this is correction. It's not punishment. Um, I read an atheist blog recently about how he thinks Christians use scare tactics to frighten people into embracing the gospel. Well, I don't think we ought to try to scare people into the kingdom of God, or scare people into a relationship with Jesus. But we ought to be faithful to the full message of the gospel. And here it is. For you statisticians out there, here it is. One out of every one people, person will die. And then they're going to confront Christ, either in the Lamb's Book of Life or, or not. 
God may not pay at the end of every day, but in the end, he, he does pay. And then we have to apply what we know to be true about God, how he has worked in our life in past situations to the situation we face in our day and time. He is good. He loves us. He desires the best for us. And so we, we, we hold on to that. So then Habakkuk in chapter 2, verse 1, we do what, what he says. Look, he says, I'm going to stand watch. This is active expectation that God is going to be at work. I will, Habakkuk says, look to see what he's going to say. So we take our unresolved things to God, those hurts and pains and confusions that we have, and we take them to God. And here's the hard part. We take them to God and we leave them there. I want to give you a little plan this morning for whatever it is that you need to have taken to God, whatever the it is that's occupying your heart and mind right now, whatever the it is that's draining, sapping the strength from your soul. What do we do when it hurts? Well, back to Chuck Swindoll. He uh, wrote a book a while back and he described what he called Operation and Trust. And he bases it on Habakkuk uh, chapter 2, verse 1, this watch and see thing. If you're looking in your own Bibles right now, I would encourage you to highlight this Watch and see, underline it, watch and see. It's an echo of Psalm 31, where the psalmist says, I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. So, operation and trust goes like this. If there's a pandemic raging, we trust. Is time dragging? We trust. Are deadlines arriving? We trust. Are old habits lingering? We trust. Is that diet getting old? We trust. Are kids wandering? We trust. Unwanted guests lingering? We trust. Beginning to look and feel older? I can even hear those amens coming through the Facebook live stream. We trust. Prayers don't seem to be answered? We trust. Recovery taking longer than we thought? We trust. Our boss is a jerk? We trust. We don't have a job at all? We trust. Our finances are fading? We trust. Romance non-existent? We trust. Dreams seem to be distant? We trust. Feeling unappreciated? We trust. Health problems heating up? We trust. Can't take it anymore? We trust. We trust. We trust. Trust isn't trust if it's based exclusively on what we can see and feel and touch. Trust is trust even when we cannot see and feel and touch. I want you to pray with me this morning, if you would. Lord, we thank you today for these words from this old prophet, who remarkably speaks to us into our day and time and reminds us that we have got to get a grip and hold on to, to you, the one we know is true, the one we know loves us, the one we know that cares for us. We thank you, Father, and as we endeavor day by day, moment by moment, to put our one foot in front of the other, that we will trust and we will stand and watch to see what you're going to do. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.